We're going to read verses 3 through 6, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 18, and we're going to read verse 4. If you've got one of the Bibles here in the house, we're going to be on page 1051. Again, we're going to start on Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemes against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who are witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. And now we're going to switch over to Revelation 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman is the title here. Last week, if you were here, uh, we, we talked about uh, judgment and wrath and hell. This week is about prostitutes and whores. Welcome to Cross Point Church. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't write the stuff. I don't make it up. I'm just, I'm just the mailman delivering the mail. So uh, we're in Revelation chapter 18. 17 and 18 this week. Um, it says that uh, at the beginning there, it says that John, that John saw this, this vision of this great prostitute, but he's, before he sees that, it says he saw, saw this woman riding on a scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns. And we have seen this beast before, this seven head, ten horn beast in chapter 13. It's symbolic of, of empires that are in rebellion against God. Now, if you're newer to church and newer to faith and all this, you're going, so this is why I don't believe in this Christianity stuff. You guys really believe in dragons and beasts and prostitutes with seven heads and ten horns? No, we don't actually believe that's what they are. This is apocalyptic kind of literature graphically describing something for us to show us the nature of, of what empires are, are like. And it says that, uh, that this woman and, and this, and this uh, beast are in rebellion against God. So they have blasphemies against God written all over them. And it's more than just cussing at God. It's more than blaspheming God. It's this idea of we're in charge. You're not in charge. We're in charge. We got this, we rule. And it tells us in uh, verse one and verse 15 and verse 18, it tells us some things about this uh, prostitute. Verse uh, one, it says, uh, she's the great prostitute who rules over many waters. Verse 15 says, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language in verse 18. And this woman you saw in your vision 
this great prostitute represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. What he, John's trying to show us, what Jesus is trying to show John, he said, look, all these empires and cities are all over the place from past, present, and future, and there is a city behind the city. There is an unseen realm behind that city that's driving all of this rebellion against God. And then we see this crazy thing that it says here at the end of verse 6. It says, John says, I stared at her in complete amazement. I stared at her in complete amazement. You know what John's doing here? This is the thing where he sees her. She is fine. She is... Mm. And if John, the disciple who he says, the disciple that Jesus loved, John was one of Jesus' best friends. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead, turn, turn all this crazy stuff of fish and loaves into, into to meal to feed thousands of people, saw him dead and come back to life. If he can get perplexed and amazed by this woman who represents rebellion against God, so can we too. Babylon, this prostitute, is hot. She's a, a pretty woman walking down the street. The kind you want to meet, the kind that just, wow. And this is important for us today. Because here's my message. The message today is actually very short. The intro's long. The message will be very short. We're still in the intro right now. We're not even got to the message yet. Uh, but from time to time, uh, for those of you that are not yet Christians, those of you who've been Christians a little while, Christians a long time, there's times this Babylon prostitute over here is way more interesting than Jesus over here. I'm just telling you that's the case. I'm just telling you there's times the world and is so attractive and so seductive and so beautiful. And Jesus is like, eh, it's, I do that once a week over here. I just, mm. we can get so mesmerized by her. And this is what John is trying to help us understand here, that this vision we have. She's, John stares at her because she's intoxicating and she's fine. And then we find out why she's so amazing because like, like any relationship, if you have any ability to write songs or poetry, when you see someone who you love and is hot and amazing, you write a song about them. You write songs about them. What we have in chapter 18 is the song about Babylon. Now, it's, not a, it's a song, really not a celebration. It's a song of, hey, she seems hot and she seems amazing. Be careful. But it, it's going to tell us some things about why she's so amazing. Uh, write this down and I'll give you some verses. The first thing that's so amazing about her is wealth and luxury. Now, there's nothing wrong with wealth and luxury, but when that becomes the driving force of who you are, look what it says here in chapter 18, verse 3. It says, The nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. This is the idea of sensuality and pleasure. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. Look at verse 7. She glorified herself and lived in luxury. Verse 9. The kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her. We're going to see there's some bad things coming for 
Babylon, this great prostitute. Uh, Verses 11 to 14. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels and pearls, fine linen, purple silk and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thyine wood, ivory goods and objects made of expensive wood and bronze, iron and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies. And he runs out of this. He says, that is human slaves. She got so good at what she did, when she couldn't get enough people to do the work, she just bought them. And now what has happened in the Babylon empire, the desires for wealth and luxury, people are no longer people. People are just commodities to be bought and sold and traded. She's powerful and proud is also something that's true of her. Powerful and proud. Verse 7. In verse 7 it says, She glorified herself and lived in luxury. So match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow and I have no reason to mourn. In other words, you Christians that think we're bad and we should repent, I had no reason to mourn about. Look at us. We're beautiful and we're amazing. I am the queen of the world. No one and nothing can stop me. Uh, And then verse 6, look what it says here in verse 6. Do to her as she's done to others, double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brew twice as much for her. Skip down to verse 24. In your streets, talking about Babylon, who symbolizes the city, this great prostitute, who, take a second here on this. When we've seen the world pictured so far in in Revelation, the vision we have is this gargantuan, overpowering dragon beast, like seven heads and ten horns, this mutant, like, oh, what do you do about that? And now she's this, whoa, prostitute who's beautiful and seductive and fantastic. It says, in your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. Mark that verse in your Bible because here's the thing about Babylon and about world empires that are beautiful and seductive is they ruthlessly and viciously eliminate threats. Anybody here in a bad relationship with somebody and they wouldn't let you break up with them? Or they made your life so miserable like they, were, they, they threatened to hurt you or, or mess with you? This is what she does. When you're the world empire... And somebody starts to say, oh, no, we, we want to go a different direction. If you're just some city or some country out there and you don't like that disloyalty, nothing you can do about it. When you are the epicenter, when you are the, the mightiest of the, of the mighty, the po- most powerful of all the powerful nations of the world, there is blood that flows. She will ruthlessly and viciously eliminate threats. In the first century, this is 96 AD, uh, Nero has been emperor, uh, Vespasian, Domitian are emperors, and they've been elevated now to not just king or Caesar, they've been deified as God and worshipped as God. In fact, we don't know this specifically from scriptural history, but from history all over uh, places, when you were going to close a business deal, when you would go into a temple or a shrine of anything, you took a pinch of some kind of incense and you threw it on the altar and you said these words, Caesar Es kurios, which means Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Not Caesar is king. 
Caesar is Lord and God of the universe. And the Christians said, we're not going to say it. You know what they did to those Christians? Harassed them, mocked them, made fun of them, shut their businesses down. And then we see what happens here. They round them up and they start killing them by the thousands uh, in all kinds of places all over the empire. The blood will flow. And empires that get to this place don't just do it to Christians who don't throw, show allegiance to their, their country. Rome, in, in the first century, there was this thing called the Pax Romana. Those of you who read uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, or look at any of this, the series on TV. It's called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. You know what the Peace of Rome was? We're here to bring the Peace of Rome to you. Don't you want us? Then we'll kill all of you. If you don't want the peace of Rome, we will, we will destroy you and wipe you out. This is what they threatened to do and what they did over and over and over again. Blood flowed whenever Rome showed up. And this is not just true about Rome. This is true of any empire that becomes the world's superpower. They viciously and ruthlessly eliminate anybody who threatens them. They're impossible to break up with. Now, the crazy part about this is we get to this section here, and we're trying to figure out, okay, so you're using the name Babylon for this city. Is it just Babylon, like modern-day Iran, or back, back in what today's modern-day Iran and Iraq? They clearly, they're a nation, but they don't have world superpower status any longer. So are we saying then that Babylon's going to come back again? Maybe that's what it means. John's probably wondering, who is this? What, what is this all about? And so the, in the vision, God answers him. Look what it says in verse 7 of chapter 17 now. Back, back one chapter. John's staring at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns in which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. You know what there, T. John's telling us here, what Jesus is telling us here? Just when you think you got rid of the evil beast, there's another one coming. Look at verse 9. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. Now, in first century Rome, you know who they thought this was? Rome. Those of you who paid attention to history know this about Rome, right? Rome was built on seven peaks, seven hills. Now, there's other empires, other places in the world where there were seven different kinds of things. But in first century, people reading this would go, oh, he's talking about Rome right now. They also, though, it's, it's not just Rome, it's more than Rome. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. We go, wait, well, there were seven heads, and where's the eighth? What? <laughs> he is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords and King of all kings and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Who is Babylon? What is this all about here? These seven, seven hills and the like five kings that were and now. And uh, I read a lot on that 
the last several weeks. Uh, Adrian Marine, who's here today, here at our church, written, wrote a book about this and does some great work. Uh, I've referenced his book on the little website we created for this. He does some great work diving into, okay, so what is this all about? What, could, what are these five kings? Who are the five kings that were and the one that is now and the one that's going to come later? And then who's the eighth and all that? Does some great work there. I also read all kinds of other people on this. And you know what all of them say? And these guys are experts. They have studied deeply history, have deeply studied Old Testament prophecy, trying to connect everything together. And almost all of them look at this and go, well, it could be this, and it could be that. It could be that these five kings were five previous Caesars, and the sixth king is the one that's now, and there's one coming later. But the tricky part of that is like, okay, so which five and which ones? It's tricky to to figure all out what's going on there. And so a lot of them go, well, we're not 100% sure of the specific identity of what these are all about. But remember we told you at the beginning of the series, this is not about cracking the code. This cannot mean, see, here's the thing that happened too in in our lifetime. Remember when the European Union came together and there were, wait for it, 10 nations. (gasps) Oh my God, this is it. This is, this is where it's going to happen. And everybody thought this is like the, the 10 they have risen to power here. And then what the crazy thing happened, they add 11th and a 12th. You go, well, shoot, what do we do about that now? It's going to be tricky to figure out what those things are. So we had to be careful not to get too focused and too myopic about just our time and place in history. Because this could be two, three, four thousand years into the future, guys. This may not be right here, right now, the specific things it's talking about here. But don't miss this. No matter who this is or who this will be or the specifics of what it's representing, what he's telling us is rebellion against God has always existed. Back in the past, there have been kings and empires who have come and gone. And there are kings and empires who are here right now. And there are kings and empires who are to come and it's going to get... We as a human race are not getting better. Well, we're getting better and better at getting worse and worse against God. We're getting better and better at rebelling against God. And it's very easy for us to see things like this and think, okay, the beast and Babylon. Yeah, that's that's Russia. That's that's China. That's that's India. These world empires out there. If we can't peek our head up a little bit and go, this beast, this prostitute, you know where she is right now? In the United States of America. And if we don't see that, we're going to get just slammed and get the snot kicked out of us if we don't pay attention to that. These kingdoms and empires, uh, gosh, in my lifetime, we have said this about America. And I think, like, look, I'm not slamming America today. I think America is one of the, if not the greatest country in, in world history, one of the greatest of all time. It's just amazing what America has meant to the world. But America is great to a point, and America becomes the prostitute, and America becomes the beast. And what happens here is when you become the champion, when you become the world empire, there's a song, I heard it, I was taking uh, Faith, my favorite kid here in the world, to skating one time with some friends, and a song came on, came on in the skating rink, and it said, it was by uh, Carrie Underwood and Ludacris, I think it's called The Champion or something like that, it says, uh, I am invincible unbreakable, unstoppable, and this is what we think we are, right? Isn't it America? That's who we are. And there's some parts about that that are good, and then some parts about that are like, ah, settle down, Conan. Just breathe a little bit. 
Um, because it's going to tell us here, you think you're so awesome, you think you're so amazing, and he's going to tell us that catastrophic collapse is already happening. Look at chapter 18, verse 2. This is the angel singing the song about this great prostitute that looks so hot and so amazing. He gave a shout, Babylon is fallen. Not Babylon will fall. Babylon is fallen. The great city has fallen. Look at chapter uh, 18, verse 8. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day. I got that marked up in my Bible. That when she falls, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Let me, let's not skip to the end yet. Um, in verse 10, it says, in a single moment, God's judgment came on you. In verse 17, it says, in a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. In verse 19, in a single moment, it's all gone. What he's telling us here, it's going to feel like Babylon's great and like all at once, just boom, she went down. Now, I want to tell you right now, collapse feels like it happens overnight, but it doesn't happen overnight. Usually it happens little by little by little. Stuff that gets in there that degrades the foundations, the very stuff of wealth and luxury and, and, and unre unregulated power and cruelty, all that. What happens here, on the surface, everything looks great, and now this stuff starts sinking into the foundation, starts sinking into the posts that are propping this empire up, and it starts to eat away at them and dissolve them. Little, little by little, it just kind of does it little, by little, it kind of dissolves stuff and it goes away. And it feels like, bam, all at once it happens. That's how it's going to feel when our city goes down. But you study world, you study history. You study all the great empires of the world. For hundreds of years, they look great. And as you go back and look at them, they can go, you book and look at them. The collapse happened, started happening 100, 200 years before they absolutely collapsed. And before somebody else came in and took over. It's the very stuff that helps us succeed, that becomes toxic underneath and slowly but surely erodes and eats away at this great city of Babylon. And so he's going to tell us here a big warning here. Now, another word for, for prostitute uh, is, the word, is, is hooker. So we're just going to use that today to say, watch out. She's a pretty woman. She's a hooker. Don't get hooked. Don't get hooked. She is... So amazing and so beautiful. And at times, Jesus seems like, eh, eh, difficult and challenging. And she just feels like she can give me everything I want and everything I feel like I got to have. And he's going to say, don't get hooked by that. He's going to tell us here. Look at chapter 18. Look at verse 4. This is like the, in the song, the point of, uh, now we're at the message today. So that, that first part, what, we've done about 25 minutes of intro, so we got about 15 minutes left of the message. So it'll be a short message today. It says, then I heard another voice, chapter 18, verse 4, calling, come away from her, my people, don't take part in her sins. He's saying, hey, don't get hooked in by her. She is beautiful, and she is seductive. She is a pretty woman walking down the street, and there's that little thing he does in the song like that, that's so like, she just, she's so alluring, don't get, don't get sucked in. 2 Corinthians 6.17, if you got a Bible uh, today, find 2 Corinthians, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then there's the books of First and Second Corinthians, 
2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 echoes this. While you're turning there, I want to encourage you this week sometime to get the, the follow-up questions we do here. It's on the inside of your note sheet. It's called Intersect. Uh, this week, it's just a, a, a five or like six, seven or eight verses there of go study some stuff. Go look at what it means to, hey, you're living in Babylon. Don't get seduced by her. It says chapter 6, verse 17, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I'll welcome you, and I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The reason we've got this vision of Babylon here is not, look right at me here, don't miss this, is not to crack the code and figure out, well, is it, Bab- is it India or is it China or is it U.S. or is it Russia? Not our job to figure out who are these 10 kings that are going to rise up. Because the reason Jesus gives this vision to John and that John wrote it down for us is to inspire our faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of overwhelming, seductive temptation. And then overwhelming persecution. It's so easy to compromise and just get and go along to get along. And so we're called to be the little phrase that's been used over the years uh, by all kinds of people is this idea of we're to be in the world, but not of it. In the world, not of it. And so um, when you find yourself in Babylon, can I just give you a quick spoiler right now? You're in Babylon right now. Babylon's not coming for you. This great city in rebellion against God with all that. I mean, shoot, think about it. You're paying $8 for a cup of coffee. And that's nothing to be ashamed about. Well, maybe it is a little bit. I don't know. But wealth, wealth and luxury in America at unparalleled levels. Most of us in a generation ago would have been happy to have one of these in our lifetime. You get a new one every year and you'll line up for hours beforehand to get it. What, what this week is Black Friday, right? Day after Thanksgiving where you can get crazy amounts of stuff, and they'll have it to you by Sunday. You can have a TV. You already have a TV that is 85 inches, right? You already have that, right? But they have them now 110, 120 inches. In fact, you can get the LED wall. That you, I mean, we could fill this whole back wall up here. we got to get one of those someday. This is what it's going to do to you. You're in, ba- you're in Babylon right now. You're in Babylon right now. The sensuality... The, the seductiveness, the, the pleasure uh, of there, um, it's right here, right now. And when that happens, our tendency is to either get hooked by it and just go along and just whatever, or we get freaked out by it. And so instead of getting hooked, uh, we want to hoof it away. We want to hoof away, get, get away from it all and, and, and put a, a, a Christian bubble around us and stay completely disconnected from the culture and the world that we live in. Here in, in uh, Corinthians and Revelation, it says, come away from her, my people. But he doesn't say come away like escape from her, like don't have any non-Christian friends and don't go to the places here and boycott this. and all. He's not saying any of that. What he's telling us here is don't take part in her. Don't get, don't get hooked by her. And so the truth is we're not supposed to leave Babylon we're called sometimes to be Babylon, to, to live in Babylon and to be the salt and light of the world. So maybe we're not supposed to leave. And I was thinking, okay, so what do we do with this now? How do we take this and make this, okay, don't get sucked in and what's the deal and how do, what's the practical thing? And coming home from the hospital on Tuesday night, visiting a family uh, down there, coming back to it, I thought, okay, Babylon. And like, how do we get hooked by Babylon? I went, there's a whole story about this. 
in what we call the Old Testament, uh, the First Testament in the book of Daniel. So uh, turn towards Daniel. We're going to go to Jeremiah first, but D- Jeremiah and Daniel are close to each other because we're going to see in the book of Daniel uh, some, some times where Daniel and thousands of other people were forcibly taken against their will to go live in Babylon, a godless culture who worshipped false gods, who did degrading, terrible things. We're going to find out about some of them as we read the book of Daniel. They, got, they, had, they had to go live there. So what do you do about that? Do you, do you go and protest and, and, and call out and go yell out in the corner at people about that? Or do you go become a martyr for your faith? What do you do to make sure you don't get hooked by Babylon and you can't hoof it out of there? You're stuck there in Babylon. And how do we do more than just survive in Babylon? What if we could thrive in Babylon? Because these dudes didn't just survive and just kind of blow the radar. It says they rose to the top. Foreigners rose to the top of the Babylonian empire, running all kinds of things. They were helping... I'm going to edit myself here a little bit. They are helping Babylon become even greater than they already were. And you go, how is that even possible? These people tortured and killed your, your fellow countrymen and women. They did degrading, terrible things to you guys as you showed up there. They're forcing you. They, look what happens here. In, we're going to look at this at Jeremiah first. Jeremiah writes a letter to people who are in Babylon. Jeremiah 29. Some of you recognize Jeremiah 29 as Jeremiah 29 11. I know the plans I have for you. Uh, keep in mind, this was written to people who were <laughs> in Babylon, not living in America with $8 coffees. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so they may have many grandchildren. Multiply! Do not dwindle away. And here's the verse that just puts you on tilt. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. I have that underlined and highlighted in my Bible. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. The first way you, you can thrive in Babylon is to, number one, settle in and succeed. Settle in and succeed. And you go, what, help evil things succeed? Yeah, sometimes. Some, some of you are in Babylon kind of companies. I know some of you do for work. And the things that your companies do are evil and terrible. What they're doing, And you're in that place going, I've got to help, help these guys. God's calling you, hey, pray for them. Work for the peace and prosperity of that city, that company, that, that place that you live and work. And it's so easy for us in the world we live in today, especially in modern-day America, is to withdraw, to boycott, to post, and protest. He says, don't do it. Work for the peace and prosperity of that country. Number two, write this down, compromise when you can. Compromise when you can. When Daniel and Hananiah... Mishael and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they show up in Babylon, uh, they had to go to Babylon schools. 
and learn about Babylon religion and Babylon culture. There was no, hey, let's go put these people over in Hebrew Israel school over here because we want to be sensitive. There was no sensitivity to any of that. You're going to learn our stuff, our way. They imposed that on them and they went to school and didn't protest. They were learning terrible stuff. Wrong stuff about the world and about God and all that. They learned it. It says they also got there and, and we kind of go, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Cool names. Do you realize that those names are the names of demonic Babylonian gods? That's the name they were given. As Hebrew people, Babylonian demonic gods who were worshipped in that culture because they had thousands and thousands of these kinds of deities and gods in their culture and they didn't protest. They, they compromised. So from time to time, you're going to be called to stand up and stand out. But if you find yourself in Babylon, if you're protesting everything, at some point people just want to tell you to shut up. And that you'll lose any ability to influence. So compromise when you can. Now that doesn't mean we assimilate in. We don't want to get hooked in and go, well, we have to just go along to get along. Sometimes we're called to stand out. So number three, sometimes we're called to survive and, and thrive in Babylon is to disobey diplomatically. Disobey diplomatically. In Daniel chapter 1, I'd encourage you guys this week, read Daniel chapter 1 through 6 especially. It's such a great little, just boom, 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 all these great little stories of what these guys go through. In Daniel 1, it says they show up there, they change their names, they have to go to all these Babylonian schools, and they were given, they have to eat the food that was uh, the, from the king's table, which is the kind of food that according to their Jewish Hebrew laws, they weren't allowed to eat. Number one, because it was just unclean kind of food for them. There's all kinds of reasons about that. It's also in that culture been sacrificed to the demon gods of the Babylonian culture. It's unclean food, it's terrible. They go, we can't do that. But they didn't go on a hunger strike. They didn't sit there and throw a fit. You know what they did? They went to the guy who was in charge of them, who was assigned to them, part of their little division, goes, hey, sh- so, could we, could we try something here? This food, we have some things about it in our culture. Could we, could we try to just eat some, some of this stuff over here and, and do that? And the guy goes, well, if you do that, I'm going to get in trouble. He goes, okay, well, could we try it for just a little while? Let's just try for a little while, and at the end of this period of time, you compare us, our health and vitality, how we're doing at school, with everybody else here, and just see, let the results speak for themselves. It says they did it, and they just rose to the top of their class. They were eating kind of better, more healthy kind of food, and they also recognized, hey, we're here to glorify God here, so we're going to work hard here to make sure they'll let us keep doing this. So you compromise, you, excuse me, you disobey diplomatically. Sometimes you're called to say, we can't do it, but you can sometimes try some things. It, it might be in your workplace to say, hey, could we try this? I, this is where Jesus is, is calls us at times. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, he says, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. You know what he's telling us to do? Use your head. There's times you've got to take a stand and say some things here. And there's times to be diplomatic about this and see if you can work the system and use the system here to go to your boss, to go to your spouse, to go to your parents, to go to whoever and say, could we try this a little differently and at least just try it for a, a little while? Some of you are in companies like this. A lady in our small group is, has a significant position of authority here at some, at some places here in, in Temecula, Marietta. And she, you tell, hear her stories. She's doing this all the time here. Not Come on, Christian values, and jam this down your throat quietly behind the scenes, being diplomatic about how she influences people. Number four, 
Uh, sometimes we're called to confront courageously. Sometimes it's time to speak up and say something because it's just wrong. We see this happen twice, uh, at least in the book of Daniel. Uh, one time, uh, there is this, uh, this, big, this big statue that Nebuchadnezzar builds, that Nebuchadnezzar builds and when he builds it, he, he, I'm sorry, he doesn't build it. He has a dream about it. This crazy vision of the statue. And it's not just like a bad pizza dream. It's like, well, this means something. And so he guys to get everybody to tell what the meaning was and nobody can figure out. And they go, we know this guy named Daniel. So they bring Daniel in. And not only, not only does he tell them the meaning of the dream, he tells them what the dream was without knowing the dream. When that happens, you go, I'm going to listen to that guy. So he, he listens to him and he tells him, hey, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the gold head at the top of this statue. Uh, pal, king, you're going down. Another empire is coming after you, and that empire is going down because the king of all kings and lord of all lords is going to strike the, the toes of that, crush it, and demolish it. Now, you and I can post some things on our website. We can post some things about the evil, ridiculous people that are doing godless things in our culture. And really, not a lot of that happens to us because of that. You say that to the person who they say is God over the known world. You're going down, king. You better duck. There's another time when uh, one of Nebuchadnezzar's sons is having this massive feast. And they go get all of the stuff out of, from the Hebrew temple, the Jewish temple, and they bring it all out. And they're, gonna, they, they're toasting and blaspheming the God of heaven, going, our God rules, our God reigns. They're doing obscene, terrible things in there. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that feast and banquet, on the wall right there, all of a sudden, a hand appears and starts scratching into the plaster. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And that would stop a party, right? You would see a hand show up there. Everybody knows, what does that mean? And they try to figure out what it means. They go, we know a guy. Daniel. They bring Daniel in and go, Daniel, what, what does this all mean? And he looks at the king and he says, Belshazzar, you have been, he, tells, he describes these phrases, you have been weighed on God's balances and you're a lightweight, pal. And so he tells him, you've been weighed in the balance, you've been found wanting and tonight you're going down. Tells him that. There are times when we're called to speak and, and not apologize for what the Bible teaches about everything from money and sexuality and marriage and forgiveness. And we're called to speak out on those things. But it's important, you recognize here, in, in Daniel anyway, maybe it's good to wait to be asked than to be all the time out there saying things. Um, I, I used to say, that, they say it this way, that some of us are kind of like... Um, pit bulls for Jesus, but I don't think we're pit bulls for Jesus. We're, we're chihuahuas for Christ. You know, so if you have chihuahuas, I'm sorry for all kinds of reasons. But you know those, you know those little kind of, and maybe not chihuahuas, but those little dogs that are just, you know what you want to do with that dog? You want to put it out of your misery. And sadly, if we as Christians are always going, about all the laws and all the... 
when it comes time, when somebody really has a problem and they're struggling with something and they've, all you've been doing, they're not coming to you because they go, I just want that person to go away and shut up. But when you're asked, you're called to sometimes say some things that might get you in trouble. It might get you fired. It might get you demoted. It might mean, hey, when you're asked, be ready to, uh, to confront courageously. And then, number five, refuse respectfully. Refuse respectfully. There, there's a couple times, Daniel, uh, there's a law that's passed that says for the next period of time, only, only person you can pray to is the king. And Daniel says, I will not pray to the king. I pray to Jehovah God, the God of all gods, the king of all kings. And they find out about it. And the, the penalty for praying to any other god but the king was you get thrown into the lion's den. And these are lions that haven't been fed in a while. They're starving, hungry. And the king tries to figure out ways to get them out of there. So he takes them. He has to take them. He puts them into the lion's den and seals it up. He goes the next morning. He goes the next morning thinking he probably is going to have to collect Daniel's bones and bury him, but on the off chance that maybe something happened here, they, they removed the, the covering from this pit. He says, Daniel, are you, are you still there? And you know what Daniel's first words are? First words are, long live the king. Not my first words. That king just puts you in a pit of lions. My first words would not have been respect and honor and grace to the king. It'd been like, King, get down here, pal. Let's trade places. I mean, there'd have been some anger. Well, I'd have been in therapy for a while over that. And yet with great respect, he says, long live the king. There's another story in Daniel chapter 3 where Nebuchadnezzar makes a big, huge statue and tells everybody when the music plays, everybody bows. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow, and he gives them another chance because they are high officials in his kingdom. This is rebellion at the highest level, and he says, if you will right now bow down to me, you, you can be safe from this, but if you don't, you're going into that fire, and look what they, how they reply to him, and get your pens or pencils out. You want to mark some things up in your Bible here. It says this, Shad, chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That's the phrase I would underline right there. Your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Sometimes we're going to be called to refuse something. We can't do it, but we do it with a respectful tone. Daniel Long live the king. These guys here could have looked at him and says, we're the God of all And what, this will be important um, in the election season we just came through and guys, 24 is coming. You've seen the post this week, right? You know who's running and who's not going to run. Uh, one of the things that Christians have blown it on, I'm not sure it's any of you, probably a few of you need to hear this today, is there's never, there's a, there's a way to refuse and to disagree, but you are never ever allowed to show disrespect to anybody in authority. That is the president, that is the governor, that is the city council, but you are never allowed to be demeaning like that. We live in a world that's just blasting that stuff all over the place. That's not our deal. You will gain influence to not just survive, but thrive in Babylon if you put some of this into place. Babylon's a scary, 
sketchy place, and she's beautiful and hot, and she's so amazing. It's so easy to get hooked in to her and get seduced by her. Let's not do that. Let's make a difference. Let's not just survive, but but thrive. The band's going to come up right now. We're going to respond to some of this. We're going to um, sing some songs. The reason we sing songs here at Cross Point is not to fill, make up, make it worth your while to show up here. <laughs> to say, well, you, sh- you showed up here. Let's, let's give them enough time. The reason we sing here, especially, look at me, the reason we sing at the end is to let this, let the singing help things sink in. To let you respond to this. And again, Babylon, we guys, we live in Babylon. Babylon's seductive. And once in a while, we sing these songs to remind ourselves that Jesus is better, that Jesus is more amazing. But it doesn't always seem like that, right? It's so easy to get hoodwinked and get sucked in and seduced by Babylon. And going, ah, remind yourself again, we're going to sing a song about a beautiful name, what a powerful name, how amazing Jesus is. Once we've got to remind ourselves of that because we live in a world that 24-7 is telling us, oh, Go over here. I'm more beautiful. We're going to remind ourselves of that today. We're going to, uh, if you have stuff going on in your life today, you need prayer for. Maybe you came in carrying difficulty and challenges and stuff like that. Maybe, maybe you're here today and they'll go, man, I've been seduced by Babylon. I got hooked in some ways. I need to get some things right with God. Back there in the back, our prayer team is back there. I'd love to pray with you about that and talk to you about that and just take that and confess that to God and get that all cleaned up. Today, we're going to give you a chance also today to come to communion tables. They're in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. And the reason that Babylon is fallen is because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Not because of what you did. Not because you're so faithful in living the Christian life. Oh, God, we're done if that's the case. We celebrate Jesus every week to remind ourselves that he's the one that did it all. And the most beautiful, powerful, amazing thing that's ever happened in the world is not this. It's not this. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is amazing. What he did in that cross was horrifying and terrible and yet strangely crazy beautiful. So Jesus, we come to you today. Disentangle the stuff that got on us this week. Get it off of us, God. Renew, refresh, restore, revive.